I'm getting ready to go on vacation with my family. I'll be back the week before we move. And I thought, you know, this is my last chance to really gather the flock and, you know, inspire them about this move and excite them about this move. I've been listening to um, one of the people that I listen to. He's like a commentary for me. is a guy named Tim Keller who's up at a church in the middle of New York. I mean, amazing preacher. And I'm listening to a, a, a series on Hebrews that he's doing and um, about Jesus. And uh, he did this one called The Rest Giver. And, the pre- and I thought, man, this is great. I'm going to take the first third of his talk and do a whole sermon on it. He's just, he's just so smart. He's filled with so much information. And uh, it would just make me look great. I thought, this would be wonderful. And, um, but, uh, I, and I thought, well, then I can, I can make it fit this. and It'll be great. And the reason you know, that, that Jesus wants us to have rest and the where we find rest is in our family. So you need to be committed to this family. And then together we're going to be... Over there, you know, I just had, I had kind of had it worked out in my mind. So I went away. We went to a, a lake house yesterday with some friends, and we're having a good time. I thought this, I had this baby worked out. And I went to work on my talk, and, I'll, and I just felt like the Lord said, that's not it. And I was like, great, here we go again, you know. It's going to be a late night. Um, and uh, I, was, I was actually going to the bathroom, and I had this picture of me as a little kid. And I thought, Lord, what in the world do you want to speak to us about in regards to that picture? And um, I want to tell you the story uh, of that picture, kind of the history of that, because I've never, Laura doesn't even know about it. And, and, and for some reason, the fact that God brought it up, or I think God brought it up, was, it just reassured me that's what I'm supposed to speak on today. Um, but the, basically, when I was probably five to seven years old, I remember being in my bedroom. It was pitch black. Um, my brother wasn't in the room. Uh, he was in a different bedroom. And I was on a single bunk that was up against the wall. And in the middle of the night, I was woken up by, like, this snarling cat sound. Like, and it wasn't like, meow, meow. It was like, like, a, like a bobcat, like a, like a fierce growling sound. I mean, like, terrifying growling sound. I remember waking up, being in my bed, and, like, not wanting to move. Because it sounded like it was just right there on top of me. And I remember just, like, being petrified, totally terrified, and thinking, like, you know, and... Like, is this a dream? I don't know if this is a dream. I hope this is a dream. This must be a dream kind of feeling. And I remember, like, going over, like, edging against the wall, kind of back to the wall, and going over to my light switch and flipping the light switch on, and the lights coming on, and me kind of standing up on my bed against the wall, thinking, okay, I'm awake now. It's going to be fine. And then all of a sudden, I heard the noise again, like this, like this loud growling noise. And I realized it was coming from underneath my bed. And I'm like seven years old, and I am terrified. I'm like, there's a lion or something growling underneath my bed. I mean, seriously, I mean, I was petrified, totally terrified, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I mean, to the point I couldn't even cry out or say anything, like for my mom and my dad to come. I mean, I was that scared. Totally scared. I've never had anything like that happen since, and I haven't really thought about it until last night, and I was thinking about it. And I started um, just praying about what, what that was about, and, uh, and, and God just started saying, you know, what was happening there was, you know, you were paralyzed by fear, Antley. You were afraid to even look underneath the bed to see what was there. And so it might have not been anything. It could have been nothing, in which case I would have looked underneath the bed and would have had some freedom. Or maybe I would have looked underneath the bed and seen something there like my cat and, you know, leaning over in a megaphone or something. I don't know. 
but I was so scared. I was, I was scared to the point where I didn't do anything. I was totally paralyzed. And I remember being up against the wall and just not being able to move. And last night, I felt like the Lord said, you know, if we are afraid, if we are filled with fear about things in our life, we will not be able to do the things that he has called us to do. We will not be able to become the people he has called us to be. And when I look back at that episode in my life, I think that that was the beginning of the enemy trying to create fear in me, wanting me to feel like I was alone, wanting me to be afraid of him and what he could do, his power, and him wanting me more than anything to feel powerless to make any kind of change, to do anything, to call out for help. Robert Shuler, Shuler, who's a pastor, it'd be better if I said Don Shula. I mean, I'd probably carry a little more weight. But anyway, Robert Shuler says this. He says, if you listen to your fears, you will die never knowing what a great person you might have been. If you listen to your fears, you will die never knowing what a great person you might have been. Satan, or our enemy, and God both know and see our potential. Both of them, both of them do. One fights for us to realize it and become who we were created to be. The other fights using fear to blind us of our created purpose and potential. You know, we don't know in the spiritual realm, when I was five to seven years old, we don't know what the enemy knows about us or who we'll become. But what we do know is that God knows exactly who we are. God knows, God knew that in, the, in 2000 something and something, I was going to begin and lead a church that was going to transform the community, that you were going to transform the community, and that for whatever reason, he had picked me to lead. And so when I was five or seven, that was a reality in the spiritual realm. That was a reality of my life that, he, that God saw, that God knew. And what I believe is that Satan knew enough of that to begin to sow in me fear, to paralyze me from making moves like we're getting ready to make, fearing the unknown, being afraid when I can't see the future. And I think it's one of the reasons why do not fear or fear not is the greatest, the number one command that we hear from God in the Bible. And I just want to read through a few of these scriptures to remind us of the reality of what God wants, the perspective we're supposed to have. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. In Genesis 15, 1, fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. And you're going to notice this. You hear God saying, fear not, and then you hear him saying, I am doing this, or I this. Genesis, and the Lord appeared to him at the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Isaiah, I kind of sign on like uh, right there, that one, I said, when he will work for you today, like Joel Osteen. I just kind of, I felt, I just felt that vibe. He will work for you today. 
I'm not making fun of him. He's a brother in Christ, but I just kind of felt that. And that's kind of the middle of my scripture. I just need a little icebreaker there. Anyway, and then the next one. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold your God. He will come and save you. Isaiah 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have saved you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Fear not, for I am with you. I will gather you. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Then fear not, for behold, I will save you from far away. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, for I am with you. And my favorite, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, that I am with you in your midst. Fear not. There, and we see this relationship. There seems to be this relationship between fear and God wanting his people to know that he is with them, that he is present in your life, that he is present in every way in your life, that he is the one who's going to get done what needs to get done so that there's no reason to fear. That God is going to, whatever it is in your life that needs to happen, whatever it is, he's going to take care of it. I mean, he did amazing things with the nation of Israel. I mean, crazy, crazy things that didn't make sense that seemed like there was no solution to. And again, the message of the Old Testament that God wanted to know, and we talk about this in the life course, is that there is one God, and that he is with you, and that he will conquer whoever and whatever is in the way of him advancing his kingdom. And the way that he advances his kingdom is through you. So don't be afraid. It's not about you. It's about him. God our Father knows that if we think we're alone, then we will be inclined to feel afraid. If we think we're alone in our situations, whatever they are, and for all of us, they're all different. If we think we're alone, we will be inclined to be afraid. Why is that? Why is it that if we feel alone, we're afraid? Well, it's because he made us that way. Because we should feel afraid if we feel alone. We weren't made to do this on our own. We weren't made to do life on our own. He is mighty to save us. He's created in us a mechanism that says, oh crap, I'm alone. When we feel alone. Because without him, we can't defeat the enemy. We cannot find solutions to our problems. Without him, our businesses will fail. Our marriages will fail. Our situations, financial or economic, will not be met, will not take care of themselves. Only he was made to care for us. He is the one who was made to save us. And again, both the enemy knows that, if we think we're alone, and God knows if we think we're alone, and we think it's up to us that we'll fail. And so what does the enemy try to do? He uses fear to make us feel alone. And we will fail, folks. We will fail 
you are failing in life because you're trying to do it on your own. You're trying to do it without Jesus. If you're failing, if your life is full of fear, if you don't have the answers you want, it's because you feel alone. You're doing it alone, without Jesus, without community. And God wants us to know that we aren't alone. We are not alone. That he is always with us. You see, I think that fear is the tool of the enemy to make us feel alone. I think that's what he really wants, is for us to isolate ourselves and to feel isolated. Because when we do so, we think incorrectly about grace and about God. There's a woman named Rosemary Miller who wrote a book called From Fear to Freedom. And, and this is so random. This is the reason I know also. I just picked it off my shelf. I was looking for one thing about the other sermon, and I picked this book off, and I read this. I felt like this is what God wants to say to us. And this is what she says, and this was her life, um, of somebody who feels like they are alone. She says, if you feel like you're an orphan, this is how you will think. And so as I say these things, and they're on the screen, I want you to think if you think this way. Because if you do, whether you admit it or not, whether you're surrounded by people or not, this is how you view your life. Your life, unconsciously or consciously, is centered on personal autonomy and moral willpower. With grace understood as God's maintaining your own strength, not as his transforming power. Consciously or unconsciously, you really think that if you don't hold it together, it will fall apart. You might not say it. But that's how you're living. Faith for you is defined as trying harder to do better with a view to establishing a good record leading to self-justification. Again, when it's all about you, it's you trying harder, you doing better, you working. And again, you say you believe in grace, but grace for you looks like God helping your efforts, not God rescuing you in your powerlessness. Obedience for you is related to external, visible duties. Obedience for you is what other people see. With attitudes and deeper motivation being virtually ignored. Well, I really don't want God to work on my heart. I don't give God space to work on my heart. I don't want to come forward for prayer and give God space to really deal with the core issues of my life. Because I don't have time. So I'm just going to kind of ignore that. I'm going to ignore that. And keep living in a way that everyone thinks I'm okay. And kind of bulk up, stand up for myself, and, and just, you know, people really don't understand. So I'll kind of defend myself that way. In your life, are you avoiding the core issues that are creating the life patterns that everyone sees that you're trying to hold together? That's how an orphan would think. And quote, what people think is represented as the real moral standard, based upon visible success and failure. And, quote, I am a victim, unquote, attitude, is supported by coping strategies, wall building, blame shifting, gossiping, and defending. Do you feel like you're always defending where you are, that nobody understands where you are, that nobody can relate to me? Do you feel like you're coping, you're just getting by in life, and you're exercising these, these behavioral patterns so that people will think everything's okay, or maybe they're not okay, 
but you're really not dealing with the underlying issues because no one will really, no one can really understand. Now I'm saying these things with the understanding that you better believe I struggle with all of them. We all too to some degree. And all of this is accompanied by intense feelings of aloneness, believing that no one understands and that one is trapped by their circumstances. No one understands me. No one understands my situation. This isn't fair. I don't know what to do. I don't have any solution. Each of us has a purpose and call in our life. Every single one of us. Unique to who we are. And if we are living in fear, we cannot and will not become who we were created to be. We just won't. Because if we're living in fear, that means we're living as an orphan. We're living in the mindset that we're trying to do this on our own. And so, on the bed, like me, we're standing back against the wall, feeling totally alone, feeling like everything is up to me, but we can't move. Even God's grace is just him empowering my best effort. If God can just give me enough strength to peel myself off the wall, I can run out of the room. If God can give me just enough strength to get my kids, to work a little more, to get my kids in this school, then everything will be okay. Wondering if my faith were only stronger then I, would not, then I know I'd do better, not get myself into these bad situations and not be stuck where I am. If, on, if only I had done what I knew to be right, then nobody would know how messed up I am. The words of an orphan. And then finally, this isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? Nobody understands what I'm going through, and they never will. I'm doing the best that I can. If they knew that, they would quit judging me. I feel so alone. See, that's the, that's the core issue, is you feel so alone. You're trying to get by. You're trying to survive. You feel judged, and you're justifying your life. You're doing the best that you can, but it's all about what you can do. Those are the thoughts of somebody who's living as an orphan before a father who says, I am with you. I have never left you. I am mighty to save you. I will strengthen you. I will gather you. I will heal you. I have brought you out of this place into this place. I, I, I. It's about me. You can't do it on your own. On your own. If you're afraid, you should be because if it's up to you, you will die. Be happy that you feel fear in that situation. Be happy because that's how God shaped us. God shaped us in a way that if he is not central to who we are and how we're operating, we should be afraid. That's what false grace is. What the enemy wants us to feel is this. There's two, this again was from that book. It's so random. I'm not, I haven't looked at that book since I was in seminary, like, like eight years ago. And there's a story in this book. Again, false grace is this. What I mean by false grace is God empowers me to do the best that I can. That's what grace is. Okay. And that I kind of earn his grace. If I do this, this, and this, then God will go and do this, and then that will make everything okay. That's a lie from the enemy. That's not what grace is, okay? But this, there's two examples. One, there's two 17th century theologians that talk about grace. And one of them says, grace is like one parent guiding a toddler across the room to the other parent. 
who has an apple for the child. The nearby parent watches the toddler, and when he almost falls, this parent runs in and holds them up just long enough so they can get to the other parent under, under their own power. That's one view of grace. Where God's empowering our power, but it's really up to us. The other one, theologians, had a different view. For him, grace comes to us only in the discovery of our total helplessness. Grace comes to us only in the discovery of our total helplessness. In his concept, we are like a caterpillar in a ring of fire. We are like a caterpillar in a ring of fire. Deliverance has to come from above. We can do nothing. We are screwed in every way if God does not intervene by his power. You cannot save yourself. You can't. And you know it. God knows it. And the enemy knows it. And he wants you to think that you can. The enemy wants you to think that you can. And if you believe the enemy, that you are alone, that it's up to you, you will be scared to death. You will be paralyzed for your whole life. And you will never become who God created you to be. And you should, be, you should be afraid of this if you're living in this kind of fear. You should be afraid. And that fear should drive you to Jesus. Because left to defend yourself in this life, left to fix your life, to heal your brokenness, and conquer your fears, you will fail. Most of you, myself included, probably are failing right now. And that's the reason God wants to tell us this. The enemy does not try and scare us so that we feel the enemy, the enemy does not try and scare us so that we feel that we feel alone. He creates situations that make us feel alone and they scare us. Because it should. That is what paralyzes us. We see our life surrounded by insurmountable fire. No escape, no solutions. No one understands, and we feel alone. You see, that's what the enemy really wants. That's what really disempowers us, is when we feel alone. Fear is a tool, a means to an end. And when we feel alone, we feel scared because we were created that way, and we should, even though we're not. And again, those are what those verses are for, that we would not believe those lies that we are alone. So the real question today is, do you feel alone? Do you feel alone when you really think about your life and your circumstances and how you're making decisions? Is it up to you? Do you have all the solutions? Jesus says this in John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And in the New Testament, there are several places where we see the words, fear not. And they come from Jesus. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. You thought I was going to say something, didn't you? See, I could have. 
Fear not, daughter of Zion. Fear not, children of God. Your king is coming, sitting on a donkey. Matthew 10.31. I'm going to tie this together. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Your value does not come from what you're able to do, what, who you are, what you think you can do. Grace is not the result of your best efforts and a little help from God. Because I love you, says God, I send grace and my son Jesus to get done what needs to get done. So you don't feel alone and you will not fear. And this is what Satan doesn't want us to know, is that Jesus on the scene in our life changes everything. I mean, imagine Jesus with me on the bed. I'm scared to death. Jesus shows up. Hey, you know, he's there. I see Jesus. You know, and, and, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, look, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. You don't have to look under the bed. You don't need to jump out of the bed and run. You don't need to do anything. I've done it all. I've done it all. I've seen under the bed, and whatever it is, I've defeated it. And it is finished. And so don't worry about what's under the bed anymore. Just look at me. I'm here with you. That's enough. That's enough. It's one of the reasons we have soaking houses. It's the place when we rest in God's presence that we hear those words, I am with you. Fear not. I have solutions. Don't worry about what's under the bed. Don't worry about this situation. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about this. The reality is in your life, I am with you and I am enough. You know, in the midst of all of these decisions that I'm making, I was praying last night. I was in bed. I'm, I'm like, oh, my gosh, we're going to move to 5 o'clock. We're going to go down to 72 people. And, no, you know, it's going to be like there's a colossal shift. And, and I just felt as clear as day, Jesus just say, you're not moving anybody. I'm moving. This is my family. This is my deal, Antley. I've made it so obvious to you that you couldn't say no. When we left the potter's house, I was with one of the advisory council, and I said, this has been the most difficult decision that I've been praying and worrying about for the last year, and now it's also going to be the easiest. Literally, those are my words. Because when Jesus is in the scene, when he's doing something, when he's on the bed with us, all of a sudden, whatever is going on in our life, it just, it doesn't hold weight. It's not relevant. He makes the decisions easy for us. I'm in the middle. Again, I'm, I, I could just tell you stories where I'm making decisions right now that are really going to affect people and their life. And Jesus has spoken so clearly. It's not you. It's me. Just listen to me. Just listen to me. I lead this church. I love these people. Just listen to me. These are my decisions. I've had several things happen just in the last two days. I was driving home last night at 2 in the morning after I finished my sermon from my office. And Jesus just began to show me the answers to prayer, the solutions that I, had, I hadn't even seen, things that he had done in my life, questions that he had answered, just little things, not great things. But the hard thing for us is believing that he's really with us. Again, because if we believed he was really with us, we wouldn't be afraid of anything. We just wouldn't. I mean, because... Who is with us is much more important than if someone was with us or not. And the fact that Jesus is with us in our circumstances and what he brings to the table is what changes everything. 
I mean, if you were on the bed with me when I was seven years old, and you're like, don't worry, dude, I got this covered. I'm like, screw you, I'm staying on the bed. You have nothing covered. You don't know what's under the bed. You can stick your head down there and it gets ripped off and come back with a nub. You don't know. The fact that I'm leaving the church should not comfort you. It shouldn't. You should be scared, folks. But if you believe Jesus is leading the church, then we can move, aggressively move, and take risks, knowing that the worst thing that could happen is we get it wrong. And that Jesus is still with us on the bed. We have no reason to fear. We're not going to let the enemy scare us, stop us from doing anything that we feel like God's calling us to. You should not allow the enemy. If there's fear in your life, today, the words from Jesus is, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you. I have come for you. And when you know his voice, when you've heard him say that, you will not fear anything. You won't. You will not fear anything personally. Nothing in our church will scare you. Nothing that I do will scare you. If we are living in fear, though, I'm sorry, the hard thing for us, again, is to really believe that he is with us in the ring of fire, that his grace really is good, that he really does bring solutions that we don't see. If we really believe and understand and live that, there won't be any more fear. The reason I wanted Derek to share that story is because that is a picture of grace that we don't see often. That is undeserved love from God in the middle of the ring of fire when everyone else is saying, don't do it. That's not what Jesus would do. God doesn't love those people. And our youth or our career ministry being faithful to bring God's love, to bring Jesus into the situation, trusting that what he brings will change. And it did. It changed the dynamic with the business owner. It changed the dynamic with the woman next door. The rat problem left in two days. No more rats anywhere in any of the houses in the neighborhood. Derek didn't say that. But God brings something. Jesus brings something to our situation that we can't, that we cannot bring in our own, that doesn't make sense. That's what grace is. And this morning, he wants you to receive the reality that you are not alone in Jesus, that Jesus is with you, that there is no fear in love, but the perfect love of Jesus, Jesus Christ has cast out all fear. Let's stand now. Let's remove the first, just four rows of chairs. And we're just going to have a time, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to each of us and minister to our hearts about the decisions in our life, the way we've been living, the fear that we might, we might feel. Or maybe it's you needing to hear Jesus' words that I am with you, that you are not alone. You know, as we're moving the chairs, just kind of come back and fill the space up. And we're kind of coming back and filling the space up. One of the things, again, I hope that you hear today is, um, you know, fear isn't something that leaves us and is gone forever. Because today Jesus comes and breaks into our life. Fear is one of the most um, used tools of our enemy. He is one of the most used. Fear is one of the things that the enemy uses the most to paralyze us and to, and to make us think that it's up to us. And to get our eyes off of Jesus, what he has done on the cross, the reality 
that he has come to save us. And to live in that truth, to live in the gospel, that's the gospel, to live in that reality, that you were made to feel fear when your life is out of control, that you were made to feel fear when you feel alone, because that sense of fear should drive you to Jesus, not to working harder, not to doing more, not to making a greater effort, not to going home and making a list of things you're going to change. It should drive you to Jesus this morning. That's your prayer. Jesus, if I'm not an orphan, then tell me. Because I feel like one, and I know that I'm acting like one. I'm thinking like one. No one else needs to know that. Jesus, I feel alone. I feel alone today. It's not fair. Will you come be with me? Will you help me know your power and your praise and your peace in my life? The presence of Jesus in our life is enough to conquer all fear. So let's pray and leave room for God to do that.